you all are the faithful ones that chose God over sleep. I sense an extra blessing for everybody that has come today. <laughs> In the rain, I gave a lot of hugs that were just rain-drenched, and I loved it. I love when we come, no sleep, lots of rain, but say just we want to be together uh, in God's presence with one another. Uh, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, uh, and I'm just really excited to be preaching this morning. You know, I was reflecting on this series that we're going through. We're going through a series in the book of Proverbs, and I every, it feels like we just started the series to me. I don't know if anybody else is feeling that, uh, but when I was writing in my notes, I think I put like week nine, and I was like, man, we've been in this almost 10 weeks already. Uh, but it doesn't feel like that because I just feel like the content that God has been sharing week after week has been fresh for me. Uh, and it just feels like we're just getting started to crack the book open of what Proverbs is talking about. Uh, so today, uh, the topic is uh, the good neighbor, the good neighbor. Proverbs has a lot to say about being a neighbor. Wouldn't you be my neighbor? Someone tried to get me to watch the documentary the other day. I, I feel like I'm the only guy in the world, as this Dave right there did, that, <laughs> that did not like Mr. Rogers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know everybody's going to hate me, but I could not watch that show growing up. It's just something that really annoyed me about it. Um, but I know everybody loves Mr. Rogers, so I'm not going to hate on him. He was a wonderful man. Uh, may he rest in peace. Just about to... <laughs> so in scripture, now how do you get into preaching from that? Um, something that, uh, which incredible about Mr. Rogers is he was a Christian and we see that he was very inspired by God uh, to do what he did. And it's because God is very concerned about how we are as a neighbor. Uh, and we see this from the very beginning of scripture to the very end of scripture, that God is very concerned about this. His people, God's people, have always had the same mark. And that is this, that they love their neighbor every single time. We see this in the law at the very beginning. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right? He's saying, like, listen to me. I'm the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am, I am the creator of heaven and earth. Love your neighbor, right? Usually you expect something more grand after a statement like that, but no, he's saying, I am Yahweh, love your neighbor as yourself. God declares that in the law, to be holy like he is holy means to treat people well. So often when I think we think of holiness, we think about uh, personal piety. We think about kind of like, am, am I giving into my sinful desires today? Am I praying a lot? Am I reading the Bible a lot? A lot of times our holiness, our understanding of holiness is linked to our personal piety, but we have to understand that it is not only linked to our personal piety, but it is also linked, strongly linked to how we treat people. In fact, loving others takes precedent over spiritual, per, over personal spirituality. I want to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says this. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Loving others is more important than speaking in tongues. Loving others is more important than prophesying. Loving others is more important than knowing doctrine. Loving others is more important than powerful faith. Loving others is more important than radical generosity. And loving others is even more important than martyrdom. These are incredible statements that Paul's make that Paul makes, but shows the importance of this doctrine in Scripture. The things that we so often cling to as Christians are the things that Paul says these things mean nothing if you forget this main thing, which is loving your neighbor. We cannot escape that the people of God have always been inextricably linked. To how they treat other people. Jesus himself talked about this. He, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was in Matthew chapter 22, he said this. He said, first, love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second greatest commandment after this is to love your neighbor as yourself. So first comes... Our love for God, and then after that should come our love for people. And he says, on these two commandments depends the entire law and the prophets, which he's basically saying this is what the Old Testament summed up. This is what it means. What's interesting, though, the neighbor in Scripture can be translated in many different ways. It can be translated, this, this word neighbor in the Hebrew can be translated, depending on the context of where it is, can be translated as stranger. It can be translated as friend. It can be translated as fellow or acquaintance. All of these different words are summed up in this word that we say as neighbor, we translate as neighbor. But truly, we see this word over and over again in scripture, and every time we see it, it's usually a different word, like stranger, fellow, friend, because that's, that's who our neighbor is. Our neighbor isn't just the person that lives next to us on our block. Our neighbor is the person that sits next to us on the train. Our neighbor is the person that we work with. Our neighbor is the person that we walk by on the street to go to the store. These people are our neighbors. And what Proverbs does is it gives us a great outline of what it practically means to love others through talking about the actions of love. See, love, as we see in scripture, is not goosebumps. It's not this uh, feeling of elation when you see somebody. Love is about what you do in your actions, not just in what you say with your words. So in Proverbs 3.29, our first proverb that we'll read today, it calls us to be people of peace towards others. It says in Proverbs 3.29, do not plan evil against your neighbor, 
who dwells trustingly beside you. So this is the neighbor that most of us know as neighbor, the one who lives close to us, the the one that lives in our vicinity. And here's a practical question after we read this proverb. How are you known on your block? Are you known as the person who brings strife to your block? Or are you the person who brings peace? You know, on my block, uh, as the city has changed, uh, we had some, this couple that moved in across the street a few years ago. And everybody knew when this couple moved in across the street. Uh, because the, this couple, they took over the block association board. Now, first of all, I didn't even know that we had a block association board for our block. But this is those things that people do. They're just like, who are you? Where are you from? We've been just fine, you know, on the block without this block association for the last 20 years. Uh, But all of a sudden, they started adding rules to the block of, like, what you could do and what you couldn't do and started shaming people on the block, like, leaving notices on people's doors, like, you did this wrong. You know, one of the things that they said, which you may think this is a very valid thing to do, but I'm sorry, I'm from Brooklyn, this is not how it works is they said it, you need to leave your number, your emer- two emergency contacts in your window of your car for alternate side when you double park. Now, let me tell you something. When you park on the right side of the street for alternate side and you get stuck, you know that if alternate is from 8 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., you better not need to move your car between 8 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. And if you do need to move your car, how you move it is you honk for an hour until either someone comes out or alternate side is done, okay? And so they started making these rules, and people that wouldn't leave their number in the window, they would figure out whose car it was, and they would start leaving notices on your door. And they started enacting several rules like this, and then everybody started to get to know them because... They would have these crazy fights, and it was like, what is going on at 10 o'clock at night? And you look across the street, and there they are, going at it again. Oh, it's 8 in the morning. Who is screaming? Like, why are you screaming at this time? And there they were, screaming at one another. Right? There, there was a, a person in our block that, if you looked up, he, had, he was an ex-convict. He had been to jail. Everybody on the block knew it. He had been living there for about 35 years. They figured out that he was two houses over, and so what they did was they tried to shame this guy into leaving the block. They took his picture and his rap sheet, and they posted it on every single person's door on the block. Crazy, right? This, this is what happens. <laughs> That's right, get him out. <laughs> Now, this is a little bit of an overblown. Hopefully, nobody in the church is doing this on your block. If you are, we'll have a deliverance uh, session right after church for you to to exercise your annoying (laughs) spirit on you. But what happened is they came in, and they broke trust with everyone. And this started causing a million fights in the block. Now everybody was getting mad. Some people were following the rules. Some people were like, what are these rules? I don't care about these rules. You know, some people were saying that. And it <laughs> started to call, well, you were supposed to park at this time. You were supposed to do this. This is when we were supposed to do that. But what, what, what this proverb is saying is, Truly, when we live with worldly standards, we want everyone to conform 
to our desires and wants. And when we want that, this causes strife. Because if you've been alive for more than a minute, you realize that not everybody wants to do things the way that you do things. But when we live as God has called us to live, we look to serve and love those around us. And what does this do? This brings peace. But we should not only be people who don't cause strife, but we should also be people who do not spread strife. In Proverbs 25, verses 8 to 9, it says this. Do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret. So often we allow ourselves to get so worked up over things that we can't keep our mouths shut. You know, I had a, there, there's a lot of doctrines that we're going to learn today. The first doctrine that I want to introduce is the doctrine of keeping your mouth shut. This is an important doctrine, church. I cannot stress this enough. When somebody does something against you, step number one, Jesus talks about this just the same. Go to that person alone and resolve it with them. Our society values bringing people to court. This is essentially the same thing as making everything public. We love airing out the dirty laundry of other people. Somebody gave me the cold shoulder today. Guess what? 20 people are going to know about that cold shoulder, except for that person that may or may not have given me a cold shoulder on, person, on, on purpose. In this world that we live in, we love to talk and to publicize and to, dare I say, gossip about other people that have done things that may not have even done something on purpose against us. But because we were too cowardly to go talk to them about it and we wanted to feel good about ourselves, we went and talked to other people about it. Church, not only should you be weary of speaking ill against other people, but you should be weary of other people who speak ill about other people. Because what I have found is when people talk bad about others to me, it's not far removed that they'll be talking bad about me to others. See, what people do with you in secret, stop thinking that you're so special, that they won't do with other people in secret. You know, a lot of times we think, Oh, that's just the relationship that person has. We just always talk bad about this person or that person. Well, guess what? That person does not just have that relationship with you. They're talking bad about you to others as well. And what we do is we, when we don't like how somebody does something, what do we do? We talk about it to others. Someone did something to annoy us. What should we do? We should go to them. This is what we need to understand. If we do not have the courage to tell someone in love how we feel, then we should not be a coward and talk to others to make ourselves feel better. Because that's what we're doing. When we don't have the ability to talk to somebody, it's really 
that we don't have the courage to face them and say, this is what you did wrong. Because sometimes we're afraid of being wrong ourselves. Sometimes we've been hurt in the past when we've done that. And so we've built up these defense mechanisms that now distrust people before we even give them a chance to have a trusting relationship. But what this does is it spreads strife among any community and it walks away from the way of love, the way that Christ has called us to live. See, Proverbs also calls us to be kind. In Proverbs 24, 17 to 19, it says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy fails. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers, and do not be envious of the wicked. Here's the second doctrine I'm going to throw at you. The second doctrine we're going to learn today is the doctrine of do not be a jerk. <laughs> this is a very important doctrine. Do you know that it is an amazing testimony of the saints when an enemy can fail or fall in front of us and instead of trashing them, we pray for them? The scripture hits the nail on the head here that when we rejoice in others' misery, it's because we were jealous of what they had. Someone who is evil that has more than you if that's the case, then rejoice in your salvation, but pray for their repentance. What we shouldn't do as people is use someone else's failures as an opportunity to feel good about ourselves. Man, how often have we... Just had our, our rivalries. And then somebody doesn't make it to maybe where they said they were going to make it. And that little voice in our heart is happy about that. And we're like, good. I knew you weren't going to make it a good. I remember when you talked about me in 2001, what you said. You deserve to not get that promotion. I remember when you stood me up on March 13, 2005. You know, I've been, I've been talking to some people that have a chip on their shoulder for like, my Lord. I wasn't even alive back then. They're talking about what somebody did to them. And what we do is we rejoice when other people fail. And this is the doctrine of do not be a jerk. That when others fail, when others fall, an enemy of yours, an enemy of someone that you don't like, someone that has done you wrong, maybe even someone that has tried to hurt you on purpose in the past. And when they fail, to not rub it in their face, but pray for them. That we do not rejoice in what has happened to their life. But scripture goes even farther. That not only should we not rejoice when an enemy fails, but we should actually help. 
In Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22, it says this. If your enemy is hungry, your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. See, in my, in my messed up Brooklyn mind, when I read, you know, you will heap burning coals on his head, I was like, good, let me do some good to him so that he feels the pain of being an idiot to me. Anybody else ever read something like that? I'm like, yep, this is exactly what I'm reading right now. So I was like, yeah, let me make sure that's right. So I went and looked up some scholarly work. A little bit different with how scholars read this than how uh, Brooklyn Justin was reading this one. See, scholars disagree on the exact meaning of what that means. It turns out really nobody knows exactly what it means, but they all agree that this is referring to leading them to repentance. That when an enemy is failing in front of our eyes, instead of turning and saying, you deserve that, what we do is we help them along the way so that, not so that we can make them feel discouraged about being a jerk to us, but so that in our love and our kindness towards them, that it would be like the loving kindness that Jesus had towards us that led us to repentance, that now we can pray will lead them to repentance and a relationship with God. When was the last time you helped an enemy who was in trouble? You know what's weird is some of the most spiritual things that I have felt myself doing have not been times of extended prayer, have not been times of extended reading, but has been an act of seeing someone in trouble and remembering when I was in trouble and that person didn't help me or maybe that person talked bad about me or maybe that person was rude towards me. And so when I see them in trouble, the, the sinful person in me wants to say, well, you know what? Screw you. You didn't help me. You weren't there for me. Where were you when I was in pain? Where were you when I was in trouble? Where were you when I needed help? Well, you weren't there. So guess where I'm going to be when you need it? I'm not going to be there. See, that's the, that's the human side of me. That's the very logical side that says, you know, only help the people who have helped you and forget about the people who have forgotten about you. But in those moments, I hear that still small voice. Justin, you should pray for them. You should go ask them what they need. And in those times where I've listened to God, I'm not going to act like I was perfect and say every time I listened to that voice when I heard it. But in the moments that I have, I have sensed the Holy Spirit at work in my heart, forming my character in ways that I just don't think can happen any other way. That when you begin to practice what it means to follow Jesus and to live out the good news, how he has lived it out towards us. There's just something about our heart that begins to change that I don't think can change any other way. We can talk about it. We can pray about it. We can think about it. But until we are actually in that scenario and that person is in front of us that has done us wrong, that has ignored us, that has 
been an enemy in our lives, and now we have an opportunity to love them, to care for them, to treat them well, when we don't turn away from the person in that moment and instead we lean in and we say, how can I serve you? I can tell you those are the character-forming moments that will have long-lasting effect in your heart because the sweet presence of God that you feel at those times, it's like positive reinforcement. I think, man, God, this is, I want to sense you more in this way. I want to sense you more in how you act and, and shifting and changing my heart when I follow the way of Jesus, the way that you have taught. Because as God transforms my heart, my intentions towards others begin to transform as well, even my enemies. In Proverbs 11, verse 12, it says this, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. The doctrine of don't be a jerk continues. Many times, silence is better than criticism. Next time you want to open your mouth to bring someone down with your words, remember this. You are walking into sinfulness. It should grieve us deeply in our hearts to rip somebody down verbally. To use our words to put somebody down, to try to put somebody beneath us, to elevate ourselves above them. That should grieve our hearts. Because that, I mean, imagine for the hundredth time that I've sinned and I went to God and I was like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, I'm confessing what I've done, and I'm sorry. And God just says, you idiot. You dummy, here we are again. You know, why do I even bother anymore? You just keep doing this, you know, forget about it. I don't even want to talk to you. This is what happens. This is, this is the way of the world, the way that we are formed with, that when somebody does something against us, when somebody does something dumb, what do we do? We open our mouth and we tell them, you are dumb. This, you shouldn't have done this. And I'm going to give you 20 reasons why you shouldn't have done this. But in those moments, I've experienced that when I come to God and I know I did something wrong, I remember when I was younger, I had this conversation with my mom. And it was a significant conversation for her and a significant conversation for me. Uh, because when, you know, when I was in school, I never did any homework. Uh, it was just, you know, I would get home and I would pretend to do homework. And, you know, I'd play video games, I'd go to sleep, and then I'd go to school. And I just tried to get out of homework as much as possible. And so every time parent-teacher night came... I knew what I was in for. And so I had a method for my mom. You know, I would, I had a, you know, we would trail, we would start off with a, with a decent one, a, you know, a class that I did okay in. 
Then we would go to the worst class that I had, and we'd, then we would progress because I was able to, like, take her through the school. And we'd go through the, you know, bad, you know, really bad, bad, sort of bad, and then I'd leave her off on the best note that I could so we'd go home and it wouldn't be too bad. And I knew what I was getting myself into because I knew that what I was doing was wrong, and I felt bad about it. I didn't, nobody likes to get bad grades. I didn't like to get bad grades. I didn't like having a poor average. I didn't like when my teacher opened the book, every time they'd say the same thing, Justin is a really bright student if he just only do his homework. You know, it was like the same thing over and over and over and over again. I didn't like this, and so my mom would hear it, and then in the car on the way home, she would rip into me, Justin, why don't you do your homework? Why don't you do this? And I would get really mad at her, and in, in my way of expressing myself, I would start screaming at her and and giving her the cold shoulder and then one day you know she had good mom sense and she sits down and she's like Justin what's going on why you know why when we have these conversations are you shutting down or are you becoming aggressive with me and I told her I said mom I know that what I'm doing is dumb and then my teachers are telling me what I'm doing is dumb and then you're telling me that what I'm doing is dumb I really don't need another person telling me what I'm doing is dumb. I would just, I don't know where that leaves what you're going to tell me. Because it's not like you're going to congratulate me. I'm not expecting a reward or a trophy, you know, for going to school. Uh, but my mom learned at that moment, and, you know, we have this conversation once in a while, that it was better for her to remain silent and encourage me to do better. And that did wonders for our relationship. Because what happens is when we tear people down with our words, when we criticize people, we're probably already cycling through what they already know in their head. And we're just adding more and more pain to the wound that is already there. Proverbs 14, 21 says, whoever displeases or despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. We can't fail to recognize that how we treat people, how we are loving towards them, how we are kind towards them, how we talk towards them, how we act towards them, that this is not good advice. This is holy living that God is teaching us. Now when he says, go to the person that has done you wrong and talk to them alone. Don't air out their dirty laundry in front of other people. Don't talk about them. Don't talk down to them. Don't cause strife. Be kind to people. Be loving towards people. This is not good advice. This is not, you know, if you want to e live an easy life, maybe you should follow these ten steps to living a, a life that's going to make you stress-free. This is not what Proverbs is telling us about. What Proverbs is sharing with us is this is holy living. To be holy like God is holy, to walk away from sin, is to treat other people well. Many times in the church, we see kindness and love as optional caveats instead of holy mandated musts. You know, it will, be, it will depend on how I'm feeling this morning, whether I'm going to be nice to somebody. 
You know, let me make sure that I have the right drug in my system so that I can make sure that I'm kind to this person. That was a caffeine joke, by the way. You know, let me, we have all these excuses, and what I found is in the church, we elevate all these other things, and we never elevate the things that God elevates above all. And we make holiness the things that we can work on that don't deal with other people because it's way easier to deal with ourselves because I love myself and so I understand myself than it is to deal with others because then I got to explain myself and then I got to understand what they're talking about and then I got to serve them and then I got to maybe compromise my views. It's It's a lot of work to care about other people. It's really easy to do me and to change me Because when I mess up, I understand the 8,000 reasons why I messed up. But when somebody messes up against us and they sin against us, I don't recognize the 8,000 things that they were going through. I only recognize the harm that it did to me. And so when we think of holy living, we leave out treating our neighbors with love because it takes work to understand, to care to be kind, and to be loving towards others. That means hard conversations that I just rather not have. It means laying down my own wants, not getting my own way when I want it. It means compromising when I sit down and talk with people and they want it this way and I want it this way. It means that even when people do me dirty, when they do me wrong, that I still can have it in my heart to love them and care for them and pray for them and show them kindness and help in a time of need. This is the truth that in Proverbs 21.10, it says this, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. This is the hard truth. Your distaste for others may have more to do with your evil heart than with that person's actions. We often like to shift blame. Do you know what they did? Didn't you hear what they said? Did you see the way that they acted? Yet if mercy is not found in our hearts, it is because our soul is wicked not because of the wickedness of others. When I stand before Christ, I'm not going to be able to say, well, yeah, of course I acted that way in that scenario. Didn't you see what this person did to me? Well, of course I was mean. Of course I said this. Of course I reacted this way when my boss said this or my spouse said that, when my kid did that. When my neighbor did this, when the stranger did that, when this person came in, of course I was going to react, didn't it? God is not judging us based on the actions of others, but he is looking at the actions that we have performed ourselves. And if our neighbor finds no mercy in us, it is not because they don't deserve mercy, 
Although that may be true, it is because wickedness is found in our hearts. And the truth is this, there is only one remedy for a wicked heart. And that is the saving grace of Jesus. Because when we are not able to forgive, when we are not able to love, when we are not able to show grace or show mercy or show kindness towards others, it is because we do not fully understand the love, grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, faithfulness that Jesus has shown towards us. Who after he was spit on, they took his garments and gambled for them, left him naked, that he was beaten, and then he was hung up and crucified on a cross, the most excruciating way that the Romans could find to kill somebody. This is what they did to him. And then after that, Jesus looked at his enemies who wanted him to die and were mocking him, saying, why don't you call down angels if you are the son of God? And he prayed this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If our heart is to see our enemies in hell, then our heart is still waiting to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. In Proverbs 12, verse 26, it says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. Where are you leading your neighbor? Are your words and your actions, are your responses and your attitudes towards others, is it leading them towards Christ? Or are you leading them towards destruction? My prayer is that God would teach us how to love. That when we sing our songs and when we pray these prayers, I want to be holy like you are holy, that we would not forget about the person who has done us wrong that we are harboring unforgiveness towards. That we would pray, God, that I would only not talk the right words and sing the right songs, but that when push comes to shove, when I'm in that situation, you would teach me to be kind, that you would teach me to be loving. Because Jesus said the whole law and all the prophets hangs on these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. If we get this right on how to treat strangers, how to treat our enemies, how to treat our acquaintances, how to treat our friends, how to treat the person that lives next door. That would be greater than any prophecy that you will give. It would be greater than any amount you can spend in tongues. It would be greater than any amount of money that you can give away. It would be greater than a life lived and died as a martyr. It would be greater than all these things that we elevate in our own lives of spirituality. It would be greater than all of that, that the next time you found out somebody was treating you wrong or speaking poorly about you, that you prayed for them and served them rather than gave them just the same. Can you stand and pray with me?